0: blessed assurance in you. In your name we pray, amen. Great job, Ben. That was, uh, between Darby speaking and you guys playing, I'm like, do we really need anything else like this morning? Like, that was plenty. But we're finishing out our series on wonder today. And even if you're not religious, the world all around you is spiritual. It's filled with these spiritual touch points, these spiritual Moments and for the past seven weeks, that's what we've been exploring We've been talking about the moments in life that make you stop and wonder that change your perspective That change really the trajectory of your entire life The moments that really change the way we look at the rest of our lives We've talked about art and music and love and nature and more Moments that take our breath away in the old testament the word spirit Where we get our word spiritual from is a translation of the Hebrew word ruach. We have the Hebrew word up top there, and it means breath. In the New Testament, the word spirit, where we get our word spiritual, uh, comes from the Greek word pneuma, which we have in Greek down there. It also means breath. Here's a couple instances where the word breath is used and we translate it spirit in genesis 1 2 it says now the earth was formless and empty darkness covered the surface of the waters and the spirit of god literally the breath of god was hovering over the surface of the waters in genesis 2 7 it says yahweh god formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life it breathed into him a spirit he became a living being in John 2022, 20, Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Literally in the Greek, he's saying, "Receive the holy Numa, the holy breath." In Revelation 1:10, John says, "On the Lord's day I was in the spirit." He literally says, "I was in the breath." And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. So when we say something is spiritual, What we are saying is that the breath of god is on it Now humans take on average twenty thousand breaths every day and we almost never think about them I have asthma So I occasionally think about my breath because sometimes I can't take a breath and i'm like desperately trying to take a breath and i'm like (gasps) Okay, I can breathe again. Like thank god for inhalers, right? but even when Um, my asthma isn't acting up and i'm breathing fine. I don't really give my breathing a second thought But breathing is at the heart of our final source of wonder Today we're talking about the wonder of meditation and prayer now as I began researching this whole series I was looking at moments that people whether they were religious or not religious moments that people found that Created a spiritual encounter a moment where they had something that felt like a transcendent moment in their lives And I read people across history and different cultures and I was like, where do people find these moments of wonder? And you know, I found people who had moments of wonder at nature and art and love but something I kept coming across regardless of culture across time across history was people who had bursts of inspiration or a spiritual encounter after practicing some form of meditation or prayer now growing up in church meditation was a bad word Like if somebody said meditation you be like, "Ooh, you're into some weird stuff, you know, like what is that? Um, it was usually used in conjunction with the church in the church about like the new age practices coming into our world like meditation Or they'd be like that forbidden Sinful practice of yoga, you know, like there's meditation. I don't think yoga is sinful by the way Um, But they were seen as dangerous elements of other faiths that had no place in our christian identity At least growing up in the church in the 90s, you know, it was like meditation bad stay away from it I remember a youth leader talking about the dangerous imagery of the monkey meditating in lion king He's like, oh, that's some dangerous stuff. I don't know if you should be watching that it might lead to you meditating Did you know there's 42 references to meditation in the bible? So what? What all these churches were telling me was something that's in the Bible is dangerous. Don't talk about it. In Genesis 24:63, it says Isaac went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching, and it ends up being the, his wife that he's going to marry. In Joshua 1:8, it says, "Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful." In psalm 1914, he says may these words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight Lord my rock and my redeemer And it's not just in the bible the desert fathers the the early christian mystics A hundred and two hundred years after jesus wrote extensively about their experiences Meditating on the word of god praying to jesus encountering him as they sat quietly and still to listen to his voice see this isn't an eastern idea that's incompatible with our bibles It's an eastern idea that's incompatible with with our western view of christianity The bible is eastern and sometimes we forget this is not a western book It's a middle eastern book and we approach it like a westerner instead of approaching the bible on its own terms People all over the world, from all kinds of religious and non religious backgrounds, claim to experience a spiritual moment when they meditate. From yoga to silent retreats, people find by quieting their bodies and souls, they can have fresh ideas, new perspectives, and renewed passions for life. Stopping to meditate, stopping to prayerfully listen for God, can be an opportunity to wonder. And it's not an opportunity that you have to wait for. You can pray anywhere at any time. Now, modern neuroscience has been able to prove that meditating, that sitting quietly and centering your mind and praying, has positive benefits for our bodies as well as our inner beings. As you age, the thickness on your brain, sometimes in layman terms called um, your brain insulation, your brain padding, begins to lose its density your brain actually begins to shrink a little bit. It's not as thick, not as padded. Now, that's where um, your gray matter is what houses your synapses, where all your thoughts are racing together. They estimate that there's more than 125 trillion synapses in just your cerebral cortex alone. That's roughly the number of stars in 1,500 Milky Way galaxies in just one part of your brain. But as we age, this area shrinks, and it's harder to make connections between ideas. If you've ever been there, you're like, I know there's a word for this. I can't remember that word. Welcome to your cerebral cortex shrinking. You're losing that brain insulation. It's harder to find the word you're looking for or remember where you place something. I looked for my keys. Uh, Sean's been letting me ride the Vespa. I'm buying it off of him, And uh, I looked for my Vespa keys the other day for hours. Could not find them. I finally realized I locked them inside the Vespa itself. um, And I'm like, brain insulation, it's starting to go away. I'm starting to lose it. People in their 40s and 50s though, who routinely meditated or prayed, had the brain density of someone in their 20s or 30s. Additionally, the study showed that people who began to practice meditation increased their brain density in areas around memory and empathy. Overall neuroplasticity increased, With consistent uh, meditation, allowing people to learn new things easier and remember old things better. The one area of your brain that shrinks when you meditate, when you have meditative prayer as part of the rhythm of your life, is the amygdala, the part of your brain that is like, is this a fight or do I need to run? The part that releases cortisol when you're under stress. The part of your brain that sees threats that aren't always there. So what does meditating look like? Almost anything you find written about meditation if you just googled how to meditate or you bought a book on it It'll number one talk about your breathing Now I think that's so interesting because what did I just tell you from the bible all the words for the word spirit are breath And if something spiritual it means god's breath is on it And one of the practices that people all over the world find most spiritually enlightening and renewing is primarily about breathing Isn't that interesting? What a, random, what a random thing to be connected. Most meditation is about slowing down your breathing, being in a moment, and emptying your mind. Now, Christian meditation has a few key distinctives. We're not trying to empty our mind so we can just have nothingness in our mind. We're trying to empty our minds of us so we can be filled with him. We're not just trying to get to nothing. We're trying to get to him. We're trying to get God in us jesus is our anchor that we return to over and over again as we practice christian meditation and meditative prayer he's our guide and our constant now in ephesians chapter 3 paul includes a prayer in his letters to the ephesians that's what we're going to look at today and i think this passage is helpful as we think about what it looks like to practice meditative prayer in our apprenticeship to jesus so let's read verses 14 19 this prayer he has here in ephesians he says for this reason i kneel before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name and i pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit what's that greek word there Numa, which means breath In your inner being so that christ may dwell in your hearts through faith And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the lord's holy people To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of jesus christ And to know this love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all fullness of god now You read that and you might be like oh that was nice that was a nice passage and the the way i was raised in church the churches i grew up in i was taught to read a passage like that and think that's nice that's true i believe it and then magically as a result of saying that's nice that's true i believe it somehow it'll transform me that's how a lot of us were taught to read the bible that by mentally liking and accepting it as true it would change me But as I grew older, I found that agreeing with the teachings of Jesus didn't automatically convert into practicing the teachings of Jesus Have you ever done this? You're like man. I really love that teaching of love your enemies. I don't love my enemies, but I love that teaching It's a good one I love when other people do it, you know, like but not me liking someone acting Sacrificially doesn't mean I automatically act sacrificially as well watching other people act sacrificially doesn't mean I automatically act sacrificially I can like a post on Facebook about people eating giant turkey legs at the PA Ren Faire But you know what? That's not the same as actually going to the PA Ren Faire and eating a giant turkey leg It's a different kind of experience Like I can like it or I can buy tickets and go to it We need to move past liking a passage and start going there Start practicing what the passage is teaching us about the ways of Jesus So I think this prayer of Paul is doing more than just saying, oh, this is a nice thing I Like that it's good. I believe it. I think it's teaching us something about what we can practice how we can turn it into a lifestyle So let's dig into this prayer and see what it teaches us about talking to god and having meditative prayer as part of our life Rhythm at any moment in any place You can pause and have an encounter with a divine transcendent being called god You ever thought about that? That's crazy At any moment anywhere you can talk to God Like if you just stop and think about that for a minute, that's that's crazy. We call it prayer It's profound. It's unbelievable. And yet most of us avoid doing it and when we do do it, we feel uncomfortable. We feel like we're talking to the ceiling. It doesn't feel like a moment of wonder, right? Sometimes we listen to a great song, and we're like, that was a moment of wonder. Or we're out in nature. We're like, that was a moment of wonder. And then we pray, and we're like, this isn't, I, this isn't wonder. I don't know what this is. It's just boring. You know, like, it doesn't feel like a moment of wonder. Most of the time, talking to God feels like a monologue with ourselves. You ever do that? You start praying, and you're like, I'm just monologuing here. I'm just literally talking to myself. It feels like there's nothing. I'm not connected to anyone. Nothing's happening. What's going on? I think sometimes if we're honest we've separated prayer from its more primal cousin of meditation And we've turned prayer into a mental conversation that gives god no opportunity to speak to us Now notice what paul mentions first here. He says he kneels before god. I don't think he's being metaphorical here I think he's literally saying I Just got down on my knees as a scribe was writing this paul actually spoke this out loud and the scribe wrote it down I think paul literally got on his knees and prayed this Prayer involved his whole body. It's not just a mental conversation. It's our whole being body and spirit crying out to god um, I work here at the mainline Art center monday through friday 8 a.m I get in here before anybody else and what I try to do first thing sometimes I forget sometimes I don't do it But I try to come in here first thing get down on my knees in this building Sometimes right here in this room and pray Jesus You are my king I am your servant I'm here today to serve you. I'm in this world today to serve you. That's why I exist Then I open up my hands and I list all the good things that he's given me all the things that are gifts And after I name everything good I can think of in my life. I say it's a gift. Thank you for giving it to me I'm going to enjoy it as long as I have it and when you take it away, it'll be okay And then as I stand up I say may I live and love like you May I make people feel welcome and wanted today like you would Doing that seems to shape my day so much better than when I try to pray in between doing a thousand different tasks They're both technically prayer, but there's something about when I involve my whole body in the process in the Old Testament, the word soul didn't mean something inside of you. It meant your whole person, your inner being and your body working to get together with unison, with one purpose. Um, when I pray like that in the mornings, it shapes my day in a completely different way than when I say those same words, but they're just rambled out in between a hundred other things. In verse 15, Paul draws a connection to our interconnectivity as a people. He says, we're all part of one family. We all come from God, designed to reflect his image to the world. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul has been taking the whole book to drive home this point that, hey, Gentiles are in. They're part of the church. It's not just a Jewish thing. It's Jew and Gentile Coming together god's plan was always to reach the world from the very beginning He just used the jews to do it. He's reinforcing that here But he's also making an important note about prayer that the bible repeats over and over again Jesus said if you're going to worship god and you have an issue with someone resolve that first because your worship's no good Until you take care of that John in first john says if you hate a human you can see you can't claim that you love god that you cannot see In first peter 3 7 it says husbands some of your prayers are worthless powerless They're useless because of the way you mistreat your spouse the way you speak to your spouse or treat your spouse So the bible makes it very clear. Sometimes our human interactions affect our prayer life Sometimes our prayers feel like they're just hitting the ceiling Because our human relationships are out of whack and god says you need to deal with that before you come to me Before we get too far into speaking with God, we need to resolve what we need to with other people. Sometimes our prayers feel powerless because they are, because the way we treat those other people has made us disconnected from God. In verse 16, Paul reveals that he prays. He says, this is what I've been praying for you, that Jesus would fill you Ephesians with his glorious riches through the power of his spirit, through the power of his breath. And that this filling of his breath would strengthen your innermost being Uh, that's meditative language right there Like if you he's talking about your innermost being being filled with the spirit of god The next time you pray I want you to think about the spirit as the breath of jesus How do you think the prince of peace breathes? Sometimes I come to prayer, and I'm like, God, I'm so anxious about this. I got a paper bag, you know, like. I don't think that's how Jesus is breathing. Jesus isn't up in heaven freaking out. He's the Prince of Peace. And so sometimes an important step of prayer is just slowing down enough to match the rhythm of Jesus' breath. Take a few moments. Stop shouting to the heavens and match your breathing to the King of Heaven. Breathe in Breathe out Sometimes if I'm super anxious I breathe in and I say I'm breathing in the love of Jesus And as I breathe out I say I'm breathing out all my anxiety And fear like is this whole thing going to fall apart Can I keep it all together What about financial stress and wanting to be parents What about Darby's stressful job What about me not knowing what to do here and here And I just name those things as I breathe out And I breathe in and I said I'm loved so much that he would die for me And I breathe out all my anxiety and stress again and I do that and sometimes I just have to stop and recenter myself To be able to pray to be able to even speak to him Breathe out your failures and sins forgiven by the blood of jesus and breathe in the love of jesus You are his beloved child now that may feel strange or mystical Definitely in the christian tradition. I grew up in i'm like, ooh, Any of this language feels a little uncomfortable But I find that as I begin to practice some of these things, it helps solidify for me something I believe It turns my belief into a practice from something I merely think into something that I actually do it becomes a lifestyle See, I think mistakenly we think prayer is about getting things from God That's wrong. That's not what scripture teaches prayer is about enjoying being with God See too often we value purpose over mystery and as a result we miss God completely I think we've redefined spiritual maturity to mean doing the right things or not doing the wrong things And I think jesus would define spiritual maturity as enjoying being with god So you can measure your spiritual maturity like this. How much do you enjoy praying and being with god? See I I do a lot of the right things a lot of times and I avoid a lot of the wrong things But I don't always enjoy praying. I don't always enjoy being with him And I think that's a better measure of how much I'm actually becoming like Jesus In verse 17, Paul talks about being rooted in the love of Jesus Uh, If you're like me, my mind often wanders in prayer Anybody you try praying and it's just like I think of everything else I have to do I think of this book. I haven't read in 10 years. I think of a cool movie. I saw 30 years ago, you know Like I just goes everywhere um If you're like me, you've also been around enough church culture to feel a little bit guilty every time your mind wanders in prayer Like if I was a better christian, I could just stay on track. I could just do this thing, right? There's no need to feel guilt When your mind wanders in prayer Uh, rich velotis a pastor in queens He says when your mind wanders in prayer, it just proves that you're human not that you're a bad christian Instead take every opportunity when your mind wanders to return to your rooted center in jesus You know when your mind wanders in prayer jesus isn't like come on Like what are you doing get back on track? Jesus is saying the same thing he said on the cross. You are loved You are welcomed You i'm not pushing you away. I'm pulling you close when you bring your mind back to him Bring it back to his love for you. So when your mind wanders in prayer Try to imagine a first century Jewish carpenter smiling at you and saying you are loved. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You are loved today, tomorrow, and forever. And so prayer looks like this. I pray something. My mind wanders. I return to Jesus saying you are loved. I pray something. My mind wanders. I return to Jesus and he says you are loved. I pray something. My mind wanders. My mind wanders. My mind wanders. I return to Jesus and he says you are loved. And so prayer becomes a conversation with Jesus where he's constantly affirming to me that he loves me That begins to change who I am He isn't ashamed or disappointed in me and that allows me to continue to pray Often a two-sided prayer looks like me talking interrupted by my mind wandering Which creates an opportunity for Jesus to remind me how much he loves me In verses 18 through 19 Paul prays that the Ephesians will have Now he does not pray that they have the power to preach or to do miracles Here's what he says. I hope that you know you have the power to know the depths of jesus's love Paul says it is love that surpasses knowledge It is a love that you have to experience in our western culture downstream from the enlightenment We think knowledge is the best like knowing more is always the best thing And what paul says is there is an experience of jesus's love that goes beyond just reading about it and saying I I believe that and he says in prayer You should be having these moments where you're experiencing what it's like to be loved by Jesus and that's a moment of wonder and that's a moment that will make us want to pray But I think it will involve praying a little bit differently than we have been so as we come to the end of our series I want you to look for moments of wonder in your life. I want you to relish them. I believe they're all around us, and they reveal a God who is very close and wants to be known by us and wants us to know his love. And today, I thought about how we're going to end this, like how do you end this whole series? Instead of a final song, we're going to do something different. We're just going to have some silence, and I'm going to ask that you practice some meditative prayer. Is sit there where you're comfortable now for some of us is gonna be really uncomfortable Like I was raised in a church culture where you always have to keep things moving You have to keep things happening. Like if there's a dead space, you know people will get bored and they'll leave But I think the downside to that is sometimes we're so loud and we're so action-packed and we've got so much energy We leave no space for god to speak in our services that are supposed to be about him speaking to us and us. And so we're just going to sit for a few minutes. You can close your eyes, take a few minutes, and invite God to make you aware of how close he is and how much he loves you. And then in just a few minutes, Darby will come up and give us our announcements. But as we go into this time, I'm just going to read a few passages from Psalms 139, verses 1 through 6. Search me and know me, God. Examine my thoughts. Examine the feelings in my innermost being. Make yourself familiar with who I am and my habits and my lifestyle and what I do and what I don't do. Examine the things that I say, the things that I should say but don't. Put your hands on me. Give me a hug. Surround me with your love. Let me sense how close you are all